I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Drug-resistant bacteria cause 2 million illnesses and approximately 23,000 deaths each year in the United States, according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The problem of resistance also limits the ability to treat patients using certain medical procedures, such as chemotherapy, surgery, and organ transplants. Last week, the Obama administration released its National Action Plan for Combating Antibiotic-Resistant Bacteria a multi-pronged approach to cut inappropriate use of antibiotics, improve surveillance, and develop new drugs. We spoke to Amanda Jezik, Vice President of Public Policy and Government Relations at the Infectious Diseases Society of America, about the administration's plan, whether it offers any new ideas, and what needs to be done to ensure its success. Amanda, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. The White House just released a five-year plan to combat the problem of antibiotic resistance. We're going to talk about that plan today, but first I'm wondering if you could describe the problem. Why, why should people be concerned? Sure. Well, over the last uh, several years, we have been seeing increasing numbers of patients who have infections that are very serious, in some cases life-threatening, that physicians are having much more difficulty treating because the bacteria have learned essentially how to fight back against the antibiotics that we currently have, um, which is, in other words, to say they have become resistant to the antibiotics that we have. And so, as a result, patients are staying in hospitals longer as doctors um, try different combinations of antibiotics and, and various interventions to try to get their infections under control and, and cured. Um, and some patients are even losing their lives because we cannot effectively um, treat these infections. And this is really starting to impact a wide variety of different kinds of medical care that is reliant upon antibiotics. Um, surgeries, particularly transplant surgeries uh, that involve you know, suppressing the immune system, um, providing chemotherapy to transplant patients since that also weakens the immune system, um, even you know, taking care of preterm infants who often have uh, weaker immune systems. All those kinds of medical care are really reliant upon having um, good, effective, uh, safe antibiotics to be able to take care of these patients, and we're, we're losing that resource. Um, and we're not seeing nearly enough new antibiotics coming to market um, in order to replace ones, the ones that are being lost due to resistance. So it's, it's a great concern, I think, to all patients and to public health broadly. Well, what's, what's brought us to this point? What's led to this problem? Well, there are a number of factors. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, any use of antibiotics um, does drive resistance. Um, it's kind of a part of, of natural evolution. Um, but we certainly overuse and misuse antibiotics. Um, and that has really caused um, resistance to develop at an even more rapid pace. 
So that's very disconcerting. Um, at the same time, I also mentioned part of this problem is that we're not seeing enough new antibiotics coming to market. Um, you know, there's really been what IDSA often terms a market failure for antibiotics. Um, antibiotics are typically priced pretty low as compared to other kinds of um, of drugs. They are very difficult and costly to discover and develop. Um, they are used for a short duration, so typically maybe a week or two um, as compared to, you know, a drug to treat a chronic condition that someone could be on for many, many years. Um, so, you know, for all of these reasons, um, companies have largely shied away from um, antibiotic development. Uh, if you were to look back at 1990, we had dozens of large pharmaceutical companies with very active, robust antibiotic R&D programs. And now we just have a handful of companies left in this space. Um, so it's, it's very worrisome. Well, in 2004, the Infectious Diseases Society of America released its landmark Bad Drugs, uh, Bad Bugs, No Drugs report. That's, that's more than 10 years ago. That was focused specifically on the need for policymakers to address the problem with the lack of, of pharmaceutical pipeline for new antibiotics. How good a job has the government done at addressing that problem since? I, I know there have been some, some incentives like the GAIN Act. Yes. So there, there have been some steps taken. Um, the GAIN Act, I think, was a really important step forward. Um, you know, not only does it provide the incentive of additional exclusivity, um, but it also, um, I think, really gives a signal that Congress understands that this is a problem and is committed to addressing it. Um, We've also seen, you know, federal agencies um, like the NIH um, increase their um, amount of investment in this area, um, as well as BARDA, the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority. Um, those certainly, you know, those agencies have been limited, I think, by overall federal budget pressures um, in, in terms of what they can do, but they're certainly um, really trying to do a lot with the resources that they have available. Um, we have seen a couple of new antibiotics approved over the last couple of years, um, which I think does demonstrate that the incentives that have been put into place are starting to work. Um, but there are some significant unmet needs that remain, um, even, you know, despite the antibiotics that, that were recently approved. For example, um, there are a number of infections caused by um, what we call gram-negative bacteria that are very serious, often deadly, um, and for which we have few or, in some cases, absolutely no safe and effective treatment options. Um, so that that's still very disconcerting and a sign that we still need additional incentives to meet those unmet needs. The Obama administration's National Action Plan for Combating Antibiotic-Resistant Bacteria outlines a multi-pronged strategy. This includes slowing the emergence and spread of antibiotic resistance through smarter use, including the elimination of the use of medically important antibiotics for growth and promotion in animals. How are antibiotics used in agriculture today, and, and what role does that play with the problem of resistance? Sure, it's a really good question. Um, you know, first I would just want to say that we are really glad that the um, administration's plan is so multifaceted. Um, that's exactly the kind of approach that we've been calling for for years. Um, this problem is really complex, and we really need to address it on a variety of fronts um, in order to be successful. Um, so just as in human health, there certainly um, are problems with the overuse and misuse of antibiotics in agriculture. Um, 
the FDA has been working with industry recently to uh, eliminate the use of um, medically important antibiotics for growth promotion in animals, as you mentioned, um, and, and I think advocates certainly believe that some additional steps can be taken. Um, one thing in um, the action plan that we're really happy to see is um, expansion of surveillance and data collection so that we can really get a better understanding of how much antibiotics are used, how they're used, um, and how our interventions to curb the misuse are working and, and kind of what else is needed. Um, so this is certainly uh, definitely a key component of the broader effort. Well, the plan also discusses the use of a rapid point of care diagnostics to ensure appropriate use of antibiotics. You, you alluded earlier to the, the problem of misuse, but do we still have this issue with patients coming into a clinic and, and not being satisfied to, to leave without pills and getting antibiotics to treat viruses that have no benefit? That is definitely a concern, and certainly, um, you know, when a physician has a rapid test that um, that they can run right there in the office and tell a patient, you know, maybe within 15 or 30 minutes, look, this is what you have. Um, I can definitively show you that and, and convince you that an antibiotic is not going to help you. Uh, that's a really critically important tool, uh, but it's also really important in the hospital setting and when you have very critically ill patients. Um, you know, right now we have instances in which doctors will see a patient who's very, very ill um, and they, a, a patient who, you know, needs treatment within a pretty short time frame, possibly just hours, um, in order to save their lives in some instances. And so in a case like that, a doctor has to put, has to essentially treat for everything. Um, they have to treat for what the worst case scenario would be and they often have to put that patient on a, a powerful broad spectrum antibiotic um, because it's that patient's best chance for survival. Um, and they're having to do this without the benefit of a rapid diagnostic test. And so, you know, maybe several days later, they'll get a culture back uh, that indicates that the patient doesn't need an antibiotic after all. But in those instances, if a doctor could see immediately what a patient has and whether they either don't need an antibiotic at all or whether they could um, you know, be just as successful with a narrower spectrum antibiotic, which isn't going to have as big of an impact on the development of resistance, um, that would be a, a tremendous advancement. Um, and that's certainly an area that IDSA has been focusing quite a lot on, and we're happy to see that the action plan um, is, is focused on this piece of the puzzle as well. well. The plan also calls for One Health surveillance efforts to improve detection and control. Why does that matter and what is it going to take to do that? Uh, you know, we I think this is critical, and we were talking, you know, earlier about, um, you know, how the use of um, antibiotics in agricultural settings is a contributor to the problem, and so this One Health effort, I think, is is really important um, and really appropriate because it takes into account that we have multiple settings at play here in, in which um, resistance and overuse of antibiotics is a problem, um, and we absolutely need to improve our surveillance on both the human and the agricultural side. Um, you know, I think it's important for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, if there is, um, you know, a newly emerging type of resistance um, or um, a new outbreak of a particular resistant infection, the sooner public health authorities know that, the sooner they can take steps to limit its spread and, and control the situation um, and, and care for the patients that are impacted. 
Um, it's also really important for kind of broader planning purposes. Um, for instance, it allows us to see if what interventions are working or not working or how well they're working. Um, and it allows us to understand what might be our um, best future targets in terms of um, developing new antibiotics and diagnostics because it helps us see what the emerging threats are. Um, so that increased surveillance is critical. And, um, you know, in terms of what it's going to take to do that, I think like most of the plan, it's going to require um, some new um, investments and, and new funding to be allocated by Congress. Um, and so you may have seen the president's budget proposal, um, which comes out every year and came out in February this year, um, requested essentially a doubling of funding um, to address antibiotic resistance. And included in that is funding for surveillance activities. Um, so IDSA has been doing a lot of work to educate members of Congress um, about this problem and, and this need for new funding. And, and we certainly hope that Congress will allocate the funding that's required. Well, the plan also calls for improving international collaboration. No, no doubt this is a global problem, but ha has there been a lack of cooperation? What types of improvements are needed there? So there has been some cooperation. I think we just really need to expand upon that and, and build upon it. Um, so, for example, um, there is the TATFAR, which is the Transatlantic Task Force on Antibiotic Resistance, um, in which uh, uh, the U.S. has been working um, closely with partners in Europe, um, and and that, I think, has been a really important effort. Um, there are also efforts like the Chennai Declaration in India, uh, which try to focus on addressing this problem um, in um, lower resource countries, which has been, you know, they have, I think, some other unique challenges, um, for example, availability of antibiotics over the counter without a prescription, um, you know, things like that and, and access issues um, for people to be able to get appropriate medical care that are a little bit different from what we might face in the U.S. or in Europe. Um, so I think just improving um, some of the existing collaboration and making sure that um, that countries are supporting one another, that surveillance systems are able to um, talk to one another, so to speak, um, and that we're sharing best practices. Um, you know, there are some things that the EU is doing really, really well right now um, in terms of fostering public-private collaborations um, for antibiotic and diagnostic development um, through a structure called the Innovative Medicines Initiative. Um, and it would be wonderful to see the U.S. create a, a complementary type of, of forum, um, you know, here in, in this country. Uh, so I think there's a lot we can continue to do to build upon that global collaboration. Well, as I read through the report, there, there didn't seem to be any radical suggestions here. Are, are there any new ideas being put forth? Is, is there anything missing that needs to be done? Um, you know, I think that a lot of what's here is critically important. Um, you know, it, it may not seem new because um, organizations like IDSA and, and other advocates have been talking about this for a while, and I think that's just sort of the, the nature of policy development, that you have to educate a lot of people and, and get all the right stakeholders on board, um, you know, before you can start to see this kind of high-level advancement. Um, but I, I think that this is still a um, tremendous step forward. Um, in one way, I think that we're incredibly excited about is that this plan includes some really solid um, timelines and very clear um, kind of metrics and, and benchmarks to be able to measure progress to make sure that um, the federal government actually does what it says it's going to do. And you know, this is the first time we've seen a plan that detailed and ambitious from um, the U.S. federal government. Um, you know, in terms of things missing that need 
need to be done. Um, you know, the plan did mention that it's the um, administration is going to be putting forward sort of a supplement that looks specifically at the economic incentives needed for antibiotic development, and, and that's a piece that we're eagerly awaiting. Um, one other item that was in the PCAST report um, that's going to require, I think, some legislation to advance is this idea of being able to develop antibiotics for limited populations. Um, and essentially, the reason that's important is because some of the most dangerous, kind of most important pathogens um, right now are infecting what would be considered relatively small numbers of patients, um, you know, maybe a few thousand every year, which means it's really, really difficult to fill a traditional, you know, large-scale FDA clinical trial of, say, 10,000 patients. Um, so there is legislation in the United States Senate, it's bipartisan, called the PATH Act, which would um, allow companies to study drugs that would address these very specific pathogens, the ones where there is um, a true unmet need, um, meaning there's really few or, or no treatment options available, um, to study drugs that would target those pathogens in smaller clinical trials. Um, and then they would be able to be approved just for a limited population, and that kind of narrower approval would, would really help um, you know, limit their use to the patients who really need them. Um, so that's something that you know I think has been talked about quite a lot. Um, isn't explicitly called for in this report, um, you know, but that may very well be because it's it's something where you know we're really working on congressional action and um, you know not something where the administration feels it can kind of act on its own. Uh, any concern that the plan, as outlined, will be executed? Uh, what needs to be done to to ensure its success? Uh, I think that the number one thing that's needed is new funding. As I mentioned, that's why we're, we're working so hard to get Congress to, um, you know, understand the importance of this plan um, and, and hopefully provide the funding that was requested by the administration. Um, I think that's going to be really critical. Um, I do think the fact that the administration has set out these very specific benchmarks is an excellent sign um, that this is a plan that they fully intend to move forward in executing. So I'm looking forward to, you you know, a year from now, being able to look back and and hopefully see that the administration has indeed, um, you know, met the the um, first kind of set of benchmarks that it laid out for themselves, and we're certainly going to be working with them hand in hand to um, ensure that that this plan is carried forward. Amanda Jezik, Vice President of Public Policy and Government Relations at the Infectious Diseases Society of America. Amanda, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.